Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this latest video. There is no epic loot here, only puns taken from the website Royal Road. The link to the story will be down below. If you wish to support the author, please head over there and give them support. If you wish to support the channel, there are numerous ways to do so down below. There is Discord, Merch, Patreon, bunch of other stuff too. So have a look in the description, you might be surprised. Anyways, now on to the fiction. As always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 146 Dreams Never Linger Hazar stood outside the boss door of floor 36. Even in this false memory, this illusion, he couldn't ignore the feeling of how he was caked in blood and covered in wounds. Boy! Ivan croaked as he laid against the wall. His left leg and arm were missing, and Hazel had run out of materials to bandage his stump with. The floor underneath him was an almost perfect blend of naturally growing ivy and glass shards one would find on an old church window. It made it dazzle to shine light on, but unbearable to rest upon. Inside the bathroom, sounds of fighting could be heard. The sounds of cracking glass, roaring fire, and waves of mana rolled out from under the door. I don't understand, Hazar whispered, turning to Ivan with a hollow expression. It was bad luck, Hazar. It happens, Ivan said quietly. Hazar gripped his only remaining weapon, his side knife, of course. It was the only weapon he didn't actually bother using. Bad luck, Hazar echoed and turned to Ivan fully with agony and fear on his face. Bad luck killed all of Team 35, all of them. Junie, Matrix, Nips, he demanded of the dying man. The twin dungeons have a reputation of being highly unbalanced due to their dual nature. Some floors can be mastered with fire or ice, having flying beasts too heavy to fly, Ivan said, coughing as he tried to sit up. But really, horribly, these two natures meld perfectly together on a floor. No fighting, no arguments, no inefficient designs. Then the dungeon's true terror is unleashed, Ivan said, flexing his fingers on his only remaining hand. Does that still have two bosses per floor? How is that fair? Aza cried, falling to his knees, ignoring how some spines of the ivy buried into his knee. Ivan's hand fell on Aza's shoulder. Dungeons aren't fair, my boy. It's down to humanity to make it fair. But with so few, and the company is only one. Still, it was my judgment that pushed us on, not yours. Ivan wheezed as he closed his eyes. A tremble shook the ground as the fighting inside the bathroom intensified between the monstrosity and the fair maiden. Even their beauty, their striking blaze of Brolder's spear, and the life blooming around Galana's staff couldn't bring back Hazar's dead friends. Brolder of summer, who struck with a lance of the sun. Gulana, who seemed like an Alban princess that stepped out of a storybook. Ivan inhaled once more as the bottom of his shoes began to hiss and break apart. Hazer snapped into action, trying to lift the heavy man off the dungeon floor. Boy, let go, Ivan said with a soft tone. Hazer took a few steps, but the ivy made the ground uneven and in Hazer's mind, they slithered with eagerness. He tripped and Ivan rolled away with a groan. His eyes half-lidded, his sleeves and broken sword hilt on his hip still broke apart. Stop, stop wasting the time that I have left and listen to me, 
Ivan commanded as the last of his life fled his body. Hazel looked up to the ceiling, covered in so much of his friend's blood. His heart now filled with so many of their dying words. He wanted to scream, but he listened instead. Wait until the maidens are done and then go back. Collect our pay. All the teams as one and then get out of this business. I was hoping to scare you off, but the dungeon did it for me. Ivan chuckled, teeth red. The sum will be a big one and the maidens will vouch for you. Take the money and find a purpose, boy. Get drunk, make mistakes, have a fling or two. Get a tattoo somewhere you'll never show anyone that you won't make love with. Ivan insisted, gripping Hazar's hand hard. But what if I end up back in a dungeon? Hazar whispered, wishing that he could vanish instead. Stick to ones with five floors or less. They aren't crazy. Ivan said simply and exhaled before he pulled out a coin. Hazar nearly snorted when he saw it. That old trick, Hazar had to ask incredulously. One last time, Ivan said before he moved his hand and the coin was gone. It's gone, he said seriously. Then it's back, he announced as the coin reappeared in his fingers as if by magic. Ivan made it vanished again. Gone, it reappeared. Back, he made it vanish and his hands trembled. Gone, he said with a whisper. The coin hit the ground and rolled away, absorbed moments later. Come back, Hazar pleaded as his mentor broke apart into manor motes and was gone moments later. Back, come back. It's sad, came a girl's voice. It's alive, counted a boy's voice. Hazar snapped his eyes up to see two glowing orbs of green and blue encircling him. They brought strong people, not fair. I don't want them to have rewards, the blue orb. The boy, maybe, announced. But they're winning, the girl pondered. One uses Yal's power. How is that fair? The boy counted. Not fair. So we don't give them the rewards, but they must be rewarded, the girl whispered. There was a pause as they seemed to look down at Hazar, holding a knife at them. No, we only need to reward someone, the boy counted with abrupt glee. Hazar watched as I came closer. And closer. He didn't want to see what happened next, but just as they were about to touch him, the green and blue were split apart by a basking warm orange sun that seemed to melt the scene away. He was resting in a strange room where the universe seemed to be compressed. Someone gentle ran a hand over his cheek. Under him, a bag filled with soft, squishy pellets comforted his body. Well, hello there. You seemed like you were having a bad dream, so I guess I accidentally brought you into mine. The kind woman said as she looked down at him, her neck-length hair and the odd tie dangling down to touch Hazer's chin. She was beautiful in a way that wasn't perfect like he had seen some mages and elves strive for. But her looks spoke of her pride in her dimpled cheeks and slightly buttoned nose rather than shame. Who are you? he asked. Wondering if he drowned in the frog's hot spring and was going into some higher plane. Delta, I presume you're currently on a trip through my dungeon, she replied, and Hazer tensed, but after a moment managed to set up. A core? The dungeon itself pulled Hazar from the memory. Your dungeon core is beyond weird and it makes me uncomfortable, he said bluntly, sinking into the bag against his will to a comfortable place. The wound gaped before she inhaled, making a notepad and pen. Well, I appreciate the feedback where I can get it. 
Was it new? Did new drop you into the fish level? She asked, and Hazard twitched. The, the, the fish level is a, a, a thing, but, um... He trailed off as his hand turned transparent. Sorry, first time someone's done a lunar trial, and I don't sleep often, so I'm pretty new to the dream magic thing. I didn't know that I could do that with anyone. I thought it was just L. She mused, and Hazar fell off the back to reveal what was the shape of a giant mushroom with a large zipper across its brim. If you're asleep, then who's running the dungeon? He asked, fearful that another twin core was occurring with his very eyes. New, my partner in crime. Maharia for guests. Farah to keep people in line. Wyam to scare people. And I guess Jelligan to dish out some court justice if need be. Data listed with her fingers. How many calls did she have? The important thing is that you rise to the challenges. And remember. Delta jumped down and pushed Hazel's cheeks up with her fingers. Try to smile. My dungeon isn't your enemy. Just don't become ours, cause I just finished my second great war and I really need a break, she said, her tone becoming bedraggled towards the end. How does a dungeon have a war without going corrupt? Azar whispered as Delta stepped back with a hum. You make me mad and the rest just sort of happens. So be on your best behavior. I'll check on you when I finally wake up. I was in this awesome dream where I was having a tea with a unicorn centaur, cross princess, who had the best dirty jokes ever. Dalta proclaimed as she began to fade. Hazel wanted to question, well, any of Dalta's statements, but found himself awake back on the second floor as Rail inhaled his big beefy chest to give Hazel more mouth-to-mouth aid. Stop! Hazel threw his hands up in protection. There was a sigh of relief as Luna peered down at him. You were nearly pulled under by your pain, but you also faced it, she said. Hazar looked at her. Why didn't you give me air then, he croaked. Luna looked away, abashed. A lady never kisses before she's ready, she proclaimed. Rail smacked his chest. Mouth to mouth is an art and I've mastered it, he added, and there was a sound like a branch high up snapping, followed by something hitting the soil nearby, and Estelle choked, turning red. Hazar stared for a moment before he decided to keep the strange fever dream of Delta to himself. He was now half convinced it was an image his brain projected on the verge of drowning. His cheeks tingled from where Delta made him smile, and he mimicked her, pushing his own face into a strange smile. Luna coughed. Well, fall for fall, I must admit I am surprised. She smiled as she spread her fan open and wafted air at herself softly. First, the key of the moon, she declared, putting the key out from the inside of sleeve. It was a simple, long silver key that had a crescent moon-shaped head. And for an additional reward, Luna said with a smile as she pulled out a potion that shimmered on its own. It didn't look like any market-branded potion that Hazar had ever seen. Silver was staring at it, but Khan was busy soaking back in the hot spring, half listening. She handed the potion to Estelle, who eyed it suspiciously. When you face the Tree of Pain, use the potion for an advantage you will gain, Luna said and walked into the mist with a giggle. It's a special brew, so don't lose it, she cautioned. Tree of Pain, like punching pine or a bashing birch, Khan asked curiously. This tree doesn't just hurt you physically, Rail said wisely as he turned the massive yawning tree in the distance, which the gates could be seen under its roots. She also hurts you spiritually, mentally, and whittles down your confidence if she's really bored, he announced. 
Hazel didn't like the sound of that. Rail then pointed in the other direction towards what looked like a giant cliff wall. You'll find the second key trial would be in that way, closer than the other two you may attempt, he said and bowed. Any hints? Estelle asked politely, batting her eyes. Rail thought about it. If you must stay awake later than your normal bedtime, drink water and distract yourself with a good book. He saluted and jumped into his boat to push to dry land. Through dry land. The dungeon hurt Hazar's head. Does anyone else notice something about that direction of the jungle? Khan asked and Hazar paused towards the giant tree and something that looked like a cave. Birds sang, giant bees buzzed, and life was normal. The way Rail pointed was dark and deadly silent. Well, if Rail says go that way, we go that way, Estelle said and walked forward with a staff held out at the ready. Hazar couldn't help but feel the while the jungle was silent. They were being watched at all times by little shapes in the trees, branches that shifted or undergrowth that rustled. Countless eyes bore on them. Many results, Seth demanded, and Quist looked up from his own bed and scowled at Alpha, waiting uncomfortably in a chair nearby. The shack was a lot uh, longer on the inside. It stretched on a little, bending space in odd ways. I'm looking, you prissy water fart, Quist warned and threw books around with agitation. Alpha hadn't meant to cause any trouble. Book was present from one's teacher, Seth threw his hands up. Quist turned, snorting smoke out of his nostrils. And where is yours, then? he demanded. Seth looked away. Lost in a whale, he muttered. Indeed, so shut it. Chris turned back and reached for the book that was being used to support his bed, to keep it even as one of the legs looked, uh, chewed. Ah, here it is, he said, and Alpha read the cover and his head tilted. Mage names in the potential meeting, volume four, pending volume five, he read. But Chris's hand covered the name of the author. Exactly. Our teacher noted that several names popped up over and over again through the years, Chris muttered as he flipped through the pages. First king, first king, Puss said, flipping the pages, and then he reached for another book under the bed, the third volume. King Protector, King Seeker, King Licker, no, that's not it, Chris said before going straight for volume one. I can't give it back, the, the name I mean, I don't want to cause trouble, Alpha offered. Standing up, but both majors spoke at the same time. No! Alpha sat back down. Names are a right given by destiny. It is just that some of them come with their own terms, Chris admitted. First king, Chris said, stopping his speed reading and read something. First duke and first lord were awarded to powerful mages who mastered ten and twenty styles of magic respectively. Their ability to master elements seemed to be a stroke of luck from correct bloodlines and training. Quist read, then turned the page, before looking back with a frown. That's it, he said to Seth. They looked at Alpha. How many kinds of spells can you do? Quist asked slowly. Alpha opened his mental menu, flicking through the categories that he'd never bothered to sort out of fear of interacting too deeply with the menu. Fire, ice, and all the rest of the elements, holy and demonic, nature and death, animation, animal communication, candy, and block magic dragon and insect magic, enchantment and warding. Alpha really wanted a true double jump, though. That would be neat. He had a further twenty or thirty sections, with one or two simple spells in them. Some, he finally admitted, first king, 
without doing Archmage? Seth asked, suddenly coyly. The current Archmage is Oberbal Talent Dragon, so, uh, yes, by rules of magic and the system in place, he would lose his seat to anyone assigned to a higher spot than himself. Puss admitted. Alpha stared at them. I don't think a governing system dictated by name pulled out of a hatch is a stable one, he pointed out. It's the least corrupt, Quiz said fracturally, getting a nod from Seth. Alpha thought that this was extremely worrying. Still, it was none of his business, as long as he stayed in his new home inside the hole in the ground. This archmage guy would just leave Alpha alone. Alpha didn't want to rule anything or lead an army of wizards. He wasn't a hero. He definitely wasn't a wizard hero. We could use him to tear down Talent Dragon's regime and install one that respects anarchy, Puss said conversationally. Install a raving beetle king and prune all naughty dogs, Seth said with a glare. Alpha needed an adult that wasn't insane, or Seth. Estelle stared in horror, backing all slightly. It's... She trailed off, not able to give weight to her words. Dal, it is old in the ground. It might have bugs in it, Hazar said, trying to remain patient. Estelle grabbed him. I don't mind bugs. I don't mind bugs. I had a spider as my only roommate in school. No, it's worse than that. There might be dead people in there, she whined. Spiders are not classified as insects, Silver mumbled. Any undead in the dungeon are technically created, therefore not real undead, Hazar replied, as if this were drilled into him at a young age. Estelle didn't know if it was. Hazar's early life was like a big secret, and her father saw that side of the family as lowlifes. It smells dead, acts undead, and bites me. It's close enough, Estelle shivered. Khan came up and hopped into the hole. Well, we ought to do what we learned, he gestured to what seemed like an ancient bell tied to a nearby rock in the pit. He climbed down and rang it as the others slowly followed. Summon doom, Estelle asked sarcastically. Be polite, Khan reported smugly. The door closing off the tunnel was etched with drawings of tiny people praising the sun of sorts offering up their weapons as if sundering their violent tendencies from some idiot god. The door split down the middle and opened slowly, showing what looked to be a parade of shorts slowly making its way up the depths. Oh, there's little mushroom people that Khan murdered, Estelle said conversationally, as Khan went painfully still. Estelle was about to make another snide remark when her eyes went huge. What is that? demanded with a voice so tight that Hazar looked actually concerned. With a great fanfare, unique-looking little mushroom people emerged from the top of... I want twenty! Estelle gushed as little pigs with mushrooms growing out of their back, oinked and blinked their button eyes. Bacon with mushrooms already cooked in! Khan whispered with drool. The trumpets and strange songs they sang came to an end as the little army of mushroom creatures gazed up at them. We're here for you, little piggy, she began. Trial of the key, Hazar interrupted. The creatures were all still almost acting as one, being they parted like a sea of mushrooms. Someone or something inside the cave was slowly making its way out in an elegant sweep. Another mushroom, but this one was much larger and in her cape. Barely visible was a glowing crystal. Her little eyes glowed softly and the air shimmered in front of them as a fluffy white body came to a stop. Hi, Missy. Great, she curtsied. I love this hole, Estelle gushed. 
Same, Khan said with delight. The mushroom had laser eyes. Hazar wasn't enjoying any of this more than was needed. Trial, maze of terror. Come, she beckoned and walked into the deep cave. Can we follow? Khan asked of the silver, I was already doing so. We will, uh, if you want to know what she was talking about. Mistal said brightly and walked into the pit of laser mushroom death and terror, supposedly. He felt a slight tug on his bald head, and he turned in surprise to find the pygmies were gazing at his head in slight awe. Aza quickly picked up speed. End of chapter Chapter 147 A Maze Nu watched the group move deeper into the pygmy caves. His feeling on them hadn't shifted much. It was still every part of the dungeon that Dalda cast off to retain her humanity. If they died, he would shed no tears. I thought the pygmy cave was taken last time by young Dio and his friends. Should it not still be recovering its energy? Came a soft voice of Davina emerging, her orange bird perched on her shoulder. Nu turned. His plain blue avatar now fully humanized to a young teen. New preferred to be a box. Things were less complicated when one was square. The worm is refusing to allow them to participate in his trial. I could force him to let them, but when Dalta awakens, he'll cry to her and then she will get on my case. I just redirected the trial energy to the pygmies for now. It's enough, you said simply not expressing his actual displeasure with Bob aloud. They did crush his friends, Dibina pointed out. Yeah, they really stepped in it, the bird chirped. New would punt the bird as far as he could, if he thought that it would actually have any lasting impact. Monsters refusing to do their duty because their feelings were hurt is disgraceful, but that is for Delta to fix. She has the better handle on making them obey. I'm merely a pretender king for now, New said turning to float towards the other side of the floor. You make Mother sound like a tyrant, Davina said bemusedly as she followed him. More like a natural disaster, but that's besides the point. This floor has so many ways to be exploited. It is going to be a mess when we have to deal with more than just one group. News sighed as he watched the birds of paradise and rabbits frolicking instead of deadly pythons and blood-sucking leeches. At least the pygmies rode their piggy steeds well enough. I've been wondering about that, Divina said smoothly as she checked the plant by her feet, clearly satisfied with its growth. Hmm? New asked as he made his way past the B-Rock formation. How do dungeons handle groups? Surely, if the outsiders just keep pouring in, no dungeon could keep themselves safe, correct? She asked, and New nodded. Not that Delta is asked, but there is a system in place for such a thing, New admitted. Later, when she developed a few flaws, she'd be able to create echoes, simulcrum for all the monsters on flaws, automatons with perhaps a sliver of your actual personality in place. These echoes are weaved between key anchor points in the dungeon, safe spots, certain bosses, and core rooms, New said as he examined the honey pools with an idle curiosity. Of honey buns dropped him panicking adventurers. It made him feel good inside to think of such things. But now, Divina pushed, when enough people enter a floor, their manner pushes Dalta's manner back, sort of creating air bubbles and water, so to speak. That manner presses up against the entrance of the floor and begins to compile into a barrier. Only someone with stronger manner can pierce through and join the others. 
So, it's sort of a deeper you go, the less you can progress when others are about. Mana brigades are a more byproduct of being invaded than a clever design, however, you warned. So a strong person was to sit drinking in Persa's bar, Lupina trailed off. Like the demon woman Rudy, yes. The entrance altogether would be quite impossible to enter without effort. If you wanted to lock down a dungeon from shifting or creating too many new traps and monsters, you would need to place a very weak person on each floor, which in itself is a risk to that person dying of mana poisoning. Dungeons are tricky things to abuse, you said proudly, as if this dungeon were his arm. Davina frowned, as she thought. But many people entered when others were already inside, she recalled. Knew had to give her credit for her sharp mind. She was one of the few monsters New didn't mind as a creature. Intent is two-thirds of the game. Mana is enriched with intenser. When one dives into a dungeon, they want to covet it, complete it, keep the treasure, and so on. Rudy, Chris, and the others had no such issues, New concluded. Every day, my home becomes more impressive, Davina mused. Does Mother's Manor have intent? She asked curiously. New paused for a long moment. Technically, they were all made of Delta Manor, which said everything really. New turned to Davina and spoke softly. All is for Delta, and Delta is for all. Welcome, one and all, to the torturous pits of despair that is the maze of the Pygmies. Aria beamed brightly, as if she was some sort of demented tour guide. Oh, you're back, Estar said, with such a cheer as a graveyard. They stood before a large open stone arch that was leaking a cold mist, obscured the ground from sight. Bites with dark green foliage crept along the wall, occasionally thinning out to reveal complex symbols carved into the stone. The entire subterranean cave was cold, and the group kept feeling fingers on the back of their neck. There was also a soft hum of organ music being blown through the mushrooms on the ceiling. Maharia feigned hurt before she broke into a ruse with a smile. I couldn't keep away. Drugs, murder, oh, and oh my! You lot certainly have been going mad on the second floor. I loved a little bit of madness, Maharia promised and looked around. Still, um, you're not here to listen to me babble for too long, she mused. The maze is simple. Reach the end and get the key, she said, and Hazar sighed. Simply isn't the same as easy, he pointed out, kicking off a tendril of mist climbing up his leg. Maharia smiled that demonic grin once more and cleared her throat. I won't spoil too much, but if your hot spring was a test to resolve, the maze here is to test something else entirely. This test will break those who look but are blind to see. The maze will set you free. Maharia warned and vanished into a mist herself. I hate that creepy thing. You're no prize yourself, Maharia's voice echoed out of the darkness. We shouldn't antagonize the Avatar of Death and Conquest, Silver warned. Estelle's nostrils bled. She shouldn't antagonize me, the Avatar of Grace, and uh, done with her crap, she warned. Khan ran his head around the arch. Trap three. But then again, not all traps are physical. He stood up and tilted his head at the arch as if noticing something. Look here, it's a little storybook. He mused as the others gathered around. The frame of the arch depicted a sequence of events told in the passing of time. It began with what seemed like a flat place of earth, which in the next month showed a sun-like symbol forming in the sky, casting rays down. 
In the next one, little figures began to rise from the ground as the trees sprung up and birds took to the sky. Estelle moved her glowing staff closer to reveal more details. The little figures worshipped the sun, building a village and growing. The sun sent down a holy scroll of salts, and in the middle of the village a great key sprang into existence. From the key, light leapt, and the people and three little figures were chosen. The image depicted them as becoming larger, more important. For some rocks, these are pretty compelling, Hazar had to admit. The next image was hard to miss since it seemed bigger than the rest. A monstrous-looking tree demon was wreaking havoc and throwing the little mushroom people about. Dark curses were flowing out of its jagged mouth. The sun appeared once more and slammed down three large gates, forming a six keys with the tears. Each key was given to a different figure, but the carvings made it a little hard to make some of them out. Is that a bee on a chair? Azar muttered. Oh, the big worm I upset has a key. Uh, sorry, guys, uh, I, I messed up there, Khan said with regret. Rich frog, Bianche, big worm, Luna, the hot spring owner, the maze. What is that? Estelle asked, jabbing a finger at what seemed like a skull under a uh, tent. No, no, but look here, Khan said, pointing at one of the last images which showed the pygmies carrying a key into a deep cave where ghostly specters of their dead watched from the walls. I don't like ghosts, or dead things, Estelle said, cringing backwards away from the arch. She screeched as an organ music abruptly went into high gear with a thunderous applause. She turned, waving a staff at the mushroom making the noise. You're not helping, she yelled. Barn and Hazer shared a look before they took Estelle by the arms and made her take a charge as a barrier mage. The mist was even thicker inside the maze, and the temperature plummeted until their own breath was visible as they exhaled. The hallway was only big enough for two of them to stand side by side, causing them to double up. The carvings on the walls turned from history to almost warnings. Several of them depicted demonic tree roots straining their insides, while others showed skeletons covered in tiny little dots left to slumber in the maze forever. Estelle turned and came to an abrupt stop, jostling some vines that dripped down from the ceiling. The wall! One of the drawings moved, she hissed, and Khan peered where she was pointing. I must have gone still. Did it run towards us or away from us? He asked as Estelle blinked. You believe me? She asked, surprised. Hazar didn't, but he let Khan take the lead. Khan simply nodded and Estelle pointed the way the carving seemed to have gone. They carefully moved forward as they came to an intersection. Hazar reached over and placed a rock on the corner of the crossing to indicate which way they had come. Always Jim says that we keep turning right until we loop. Hazar said to the group as Estelle looked down the passage he indicated. An ominous thrum was covering the deep in the maze. They all turned to stare at Hazar doubtfully, but he refused to budge. Let's get a move on, he insisted. Moments after they went down the hallway, the intersection began to grind, two of the hallways sealing shut. But before they closed fully, a tiny pygmy ran out and snagged Hazar's rock and ran back into the wall, vines crawling down the wall to make it look authentic. Haldi put his cheese down on the platter as his guests all squeezed into the coveted old church that had become his hub. Archmage, Haldi repeated with a frown, yeah, you knew him, right? Um, more like a formerly before you were exiled here, right? 
Chris asked blindly, between him and Seth. Alpha was squished like a tiny piece of ham between two heels of bread. I suppose, if you call trying to kill each other as knowing, Haldi admitted with a smile as he put down his second platter of cheese samples on the table. The selection was divine. One had been curdled inside a golem for three years. Another came from the milk of a particularly angry yak. His guests were just being too darn polite to begin, however. The West Grand Majors knew, knew you much, Seth boggled, as if the idea was a little preposterous. Haldi rolled his tongue. Right. Seth was from the East. He wasn't heard good things about the Mage Circle. Not at all. Hard not to, since we grew up together. Brothers, if you can believe it, Aldi said, and neither even caught Quiss of God. You're related to the upper-pole talent dragon, Quiss trailed off, and Aldi just chuckled at their shocked expressions. Mage names tend to confuse family connections. Most families tend to cultivate their kids to a particular branch of magic, and thinking so, they end up with the same or similar mage name, Ironheart, Ironbark, Iron Fist. But whole new mage families can spring into existence at the drop of a hat if the divide is too great, Haldi said, and then eyed Quiss and Seth. You know this, surely. You were trained in the school, he said, as if they didn't know. They both looked away. Our teacher was a bit more focused on, uh, Quiss began, but Seth finished for him. Us, he said, with a long look. Well, Oppy um, and I grew up in a good old-fashioned style. He was a talented young master who could sneeze magic if he wasn't careful. I was a second-born useless child who practiced until his fingers cracked and my eyes bled. I only ever really became an average mage compared to Oppy, who rose up the ranks faster than you could blink. All these sighed at the memories. But you're strong, Alpha spoke up abruptly, confused. Turns out that I was just ill-suited to most magic. Once I was given my niche, I bloomed as well. Haldi beamed and handed Alfred cheese candy. So, uh, why are you asking about Oppy? Haldi asked with a sudden hard stare at the men. They shifted in a way that made it Haldi want to call Mila over for a drink. We, uh, may have taken your brother's job and given it to Alfie here, Quiz said simply. Haldi blinked once, then twice. Say uh, again, he asked bluntly. Alpha held out his hands and a very familiar set of pristine magical robes appeared, shoes and hat included. Haldi gently picked up the garments and got a whiff of the expensive, terrible cologne. We um, uh, pulled uh, Alpha's wizard name and it was, uh, well, um, big. Uh, and considering your name, uh, we thought you should know, Chris said slowly, but Haldi began to shake. He, he, he shuddered. Then he broke into an uproarious laugh, needing to sit down as the image of his brother being stark naked in the middle of his palace wiped years of stress off of Haldi's back. Oh, he's gonna come here and kill you all, Haldi said, wiping tears from his eyes as the three guests stiffened in alarm. He's going to deaden us, Seth whispered with a gulp. Well, he would, but thankfully, I find you all good kids, so I can fend him off for you. Aldi promised as they gingerly took some of his cheese finally. Are you stronger than him? Alpha asked curiously, and Haldi liked the boy. He was so forward. 
Aldi inhaled, and the sun seemed to dim through the grimy windows, and the fire in the place flickered down as if cowering. Shadows loomed in the room, and the various pieces of cheese trembled. Well, they don't call me Aldi the Big Cheese for nothing, my boy, Aldi said smoothly. Inside he giggled at their pale faces. Being an old fart had its benefits, and this was just one of many. When lost, Estelle announced after Hazar slid down the wall in defeat. There's no airflow, and their vines aren't staying still. I can't track a way out, Khan agreed as they looked around the hallway. We're going to turn into dark-covered skeletons, wasting away, Estelle gasped, holding her figure as if someone was going to steal it from her. Excuse me, Silver spoke up. We should eat Hazar first. He has the most meat, Khan said quickly, eyeing the muscular man. I don't mind. Uh, get me away from Estelle's whining faster, the man muttered. Um, I think there, Silver tried again. I want to club him. Final mercy from family, Estelle said, raising her staff in annoyance. The walls, they're, they're literally telling us which way to go, Silver yelled. Man of voice, pausing. Everyone paused and looked at Silver. He was pointing to the wall where the symbol of little men running towards a key was moving to their left, but the others showed pygmies disappearing at a dead end. I know that. I didn't want to show off, Estelle said, smoothing her robe down before gesturing onwards. To the key, together, she declared, and there came a rumbling from all around them. Around them, in the eyes of monsters and stories, little wooden instruments poked out of the stone wall. Oh... Little straws, Khan mused before looking a lot closer. Countless little puffs went off, and only a thin barrier from Estelle kept them all from being punctured by a dozen darts. You can thank me now, Estelle insisted with her eyes closed. The wall slammed down behind them and began to grind forward, crushing rocks and vines as it raced towards them. We can outrun it at a brisk walk, uh, something threatening. Estelle tried to assure her teammates. But a dozen little holes had opened up in the wall, and little spears poked through, creating a spiked wall effect. I am uh, going to shut up now and um, run, Estelle said with a quiet tone. It's not the time or place, but I'm going to treasure you saying those words until I die, Hazar said, urging her along, putting himself between her and the wall. They ran along the wall, and at the next bit, Hazar and Khan went to the left, and Estelle and Silver accidentally went right. Hazer skidded to a stop and tried to redirect his course, but the hallway slammed down like a hammer. Estelle! Hazar yelled as his cousin vanished behind a thick rock barriers. The wall he was about to start beating had sprouted more spikes and began to chase him. Khan grabbed Hazar's arm and dragged him away. Find them at the key, all roads to the capital, he called, and Hazar stopped resisting and raced on. Estelle slowly lowered her hand everything going quiet as she stared at the wall behind which Hazel and Khan had vanished behind. She turned to Silver, and they stared at each other. We should move on, Silver said, and Estelle stiffly walked past him, trying not to imagine what was under his robes, the twisted melding of monster and human. I don't see any key signs on the wall, Estelle finally said, and Silver looked around, taking it all in. But there are new symbols, he said pressing his crooked finger to a symbol being prayed to by the pygmies, some sort of burning mushroom on an altar. 
The stall spotted another symbol, a mushroom made of two grinding cogs. The burning mushroom led to the left and the cog to the right. They had a choice to make. Hazar stared at a large drawer with a single symbol dominating the walls, a mushroom-shaped cloud that almost looked like a skull. Only one choice, Khan said slowly. There was no choice to be made. End of chapter. Just a quick shout-out to the T5 peeps. Bob the Dragon, Cat Crab Lobster, Data Magnet, Dark Machine, Mezic, Try Again 95, Feudic Yol, Astrea the Dreamer, Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Athelia, Meridian 117, and Jordan Buxmorm. Thank you very much. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. There are links down below, both to support this channel and for the author of this fiction. Anyways, I hope you all have a fantastic one, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.